Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. And for the next few minutes, I'm going to invite you to stay with me. It's going to be about 30 minutes of motivation, some inspiration, some education. But we don't have any manipulation because we, we're not trying to sell you anything. We're not asking you for money. We're not trying to manipulate you into joining up or fessing up. We just want to give you some accurate information. Hopefully that information will help you verify and identify God's plan for your life. And if it does that, then you have the freedom and the privacy to orient and adjust to the plan. But my job is to give you accurate information, not human speculation, but accurate information. Information that will give you the concept of what it means to live the Christian life. We, we use the term flatline, F-L-O-T, and if you're new to the show, that just simply stands for the forward line of troops. And what we're doing is using a military analogy to explain the Christian life, just like Paul did in Ephesians chapter 6 when Paul said, put on the full armor of God that you can stand against the strategy of the devil. He used a military analogy. The armor, the shield, the helmet, the sword. Now, those are metaphors for the Christian life, and that's what we're doing here. So we're talking about establishing a forward line of troops, a main line of resistance that consists of 10 unique problem-solving devices so that you can stop the outside source of adversity before it ever becomes the inside source of stress. We want you to know that in spite of everything, adversity is inevitable. It will happen, but stress is definitely optional. Adversity is what circumstances do to you, and stress is what you do to yourself. And we've seen it on this show many times. We've talked about many times how we are, as humans, we're problem manufacturing machines. And the reason is because we have a volition. God gave you a volition. And that volition is the invisible part of you that decides what you want to do. And your volition is the area always of where sin occurs. Temptation may come to your volition, but the temptation is not a sin. It's when your volition says, yes, I will do that, or no, I won't do that. And when you say yes to the temptation, then your volition exercises free will and you choose to sin. And it's the same way you became a Christian. You heard the gospel. You heard that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You heard that he was buried and resurrected on the third day, and you believed it, and you received Christ as your Savior. Your volition said, yes, I want to accept Christ as my Savior. Your volition, your volition is a phenomenal thing because God gave it to you. Now, the government's trying to take it away in a lot of different areas. They don't want you to exercise your rights anymore. They want to make decisions for you in certain things. And that's never good. And I fear the, the course of history for the United States of America may be shortened because of some of the volitional decisions that are being taken away from us even today. But in spite of that, we all fail. 
We all have frustrations when we fail, and we all have flaws, a flaw. You know, some of us have inherent flaws. We come from alcoholic parents, and so we're told we shouldn't drink because we may be alcoholics ourselves. We have an inherent flaw. And then other people have an acquired flaw. I mean, maybe your parents were not alcoholics, or maybe they were not drug users, but you got into it, and you started using it, and you acquired this flaw. You weren't born with it. You acquired it. Inherent flaws and acquired flaws are both flaws, and those flaws affect our lives and our decisions that we make because they affect the way that we think. And when we fail, it's normal to get frustrated. And fail, indeed, we will. Because the Bible clearly says we all have a sinful nature. And that old man within us is against God's laws. The Bible says he never has obeyed God, and he never will. Paul dealt with this in Romans 7, 15, when he said, For that which I want to do, I don't do. But the things that I hate to do, those are the things I do. And that's true for you and for me. Sometimes we seem like two different people. I mean, sometimes we're really nice and good, and, and we do the things we should do, and other times we don't. And some of it depends on your lust patterns. You see, some people have a lust for certain things, and other people don't. Some people lust for money, and so they may steal, cheat on their taxes. Other people do not, and they would never do that. But maybe they have a lust for alcohol or a lust for drugs. Or maybe they have sex lust. Or maybe the most horrible of all lust, power lust. Power lust. Politicians get a lot of this sometimes. If they're not true servants of the people, they get into office for power lust. And they seem to vote themselves all the benefits and give you all the curses. And uh, so it doesn't quite seem fair when the Constitution says they could not vote themselves anything that the people can't have, but they do. And thus you can see the effects of that in Congress today. And so, uh, you know, this is where we stand. We have failures. We have flaws. We have frustrations acquired and some inherited. I want to read to you briefly a small article about a little girl who was 14 years old when this happened. It's quite a few years old, this article is. I've saved it for a long time, but she was a 14-year-old student, and she was pregnant. In fact, she was nine months pregnant. And the article says from this newspaper that she took a spiral notebook, uh, cleaned up her room, made her bed, and wrote her mom a letter. And then she went out to the nearest railroad track and knelt down between the rails as the speeding train crashed over her and took her life and the life of her unborn baby boy. She wrote in that letter, you always ask me if there was anything wrong. And she said, I told you, no, I'm okay. But mother, I didn't tell you the truth. I was not okay. I'm running away from my problems. I'm taking the easy way out, as if suicide is the easy way out. And she said, I'm admitting to myself that I'm a weak person, 
not able to handle the weight of life. And she said, I'm very sorry to have put you through all of these things and uh, the troubles that I've caused you. And she went on to say, I've drank some wine, I took some pills, but before I did all of that, I prayed to my Father God in heaven and I asked him to forgive me, but he won't and I don't blame him for that. And, And that's wrong. I need to explain that. If you're a Christian, I don't care what you've done in your life, God will forgive you. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all of our wrongdoing. The problem is in guilt, we fail to forgive ourselves. So this article said she asked her mother, don't have a nervous breakdown. Don't cry all the time. That's ridiculous. You know her mother had a nervous breakdown. You know her mother is crying. Her daughter just smashed by a train. And she didn't know it was going to happen. Can't tell you the frustration of parents who've lost a child to suicide. I want to make this clear. If a person is a believer in Jesus Christ and they commit suicide, people often assume they would not go to heaven, and that is not correct. Any Christian that commits suicide, the minute he leaves this world, he goes to heaven. God did not take away his salvation because he committed suicide. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. Even Samson committed suicide. Do you remember that? When he pushed down the tabernacle on himself and killed the Philistines along with it, that was suicide. I mean, come on. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. When we have faith alone, in Christ alone, we're born into the royal family of God. And God has a plan that he wants us to learn to operate under. If we fail to learn that plan, if we fail to adhere to the promises and the procedures taught in the Bible, then we go off down the my way highway. And it's inevitable that we're going to create tremendous problems for our lives. We're going to create controversy. And we're going to be ashamed. We're going to have guilt over some of the things that we do. And if we go far enough and deep enough into sin, then we will create so much scar tissue, we won't even feel wrong about it anymore, and we will blame others for what is actually our fault. Going this deep is called reversionism. Some people call it backsliding. I call it reversionism. Reverting to the former ways. That doesn't mean you're you're not a Christian. It's not what it means. There's a vicious movement out today that seems to want to think that if a person is a Christian, that he should produce fruits of a Christian. That passage taken from Matthew 7 was talking about the fruits of the Pharisees, and they had no fruits. They were bad trees, and their fruit was bad. It has nothing to do with whether Christians produce fruit or not. And it is possible for a person to believe in Jesus Christ receive Jesus Christ as his Savior, and within a year, within a few months, slip back into a lifestyle of sin because he doesn't grow in grace. He doesn't learn God's Word. He doesn't learn how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He doesn't learn how to rebound his sin, and he gets frustrated because his sin nature is always there. It's always tempting him, and even Satan knows this person's weaknesses and is sure to throw those up as well. 
And so without growing in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, a Christian, a person who believes in Jesus Christ, if he doesn't grow, if he doesn't get out of being a baby Christian and get to being an adult Christian, then more than likely he's going to revert back to his former way of life. And more than likely he'll be judged by some self-righteous Christian that says, quote, if, I, if he was a Christian, he wouldn't do that. See, that, Number one, don't ever judge someone else. The Bible tells you that plainly in Matthew 7. You don't know whether he's a Christian or not. And you don't need to be sticking your self-righteous nose into their business. Let God handle that. And so that is a real, real problem, especially in self-righteous, legalistic people who want to judge others and say they're not Christians or they wouldn't have done that. All right? Enough preaching. Let's go on down the road. Failure in life. It's possible you can fail in your life as a Christian when you fail to learn God's problem-solving devices. This is why we're trying to explain these 10 unique problem-solving devices. This is why I keep constantly telling you to be under the authority of a qualified pastor. This is why I tell you the Bible says you must grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because you have the potential to make a big mess out of your life. I do as well. And so we can fail physically or we can fail spiritually. You see, if you are a Christian, you have two lives here. You have a spiritual life and you have a physical life. And it's possible we can fail in both ways. See, we have that old sin nature and that old sin nature dominates us. And uh, if we let that old sin nature manipulate us to where our volition constantly chooses to go negative to the mandate of God, then we're going to fail. Spiritually failing means that we break fellowship with God we quench the Holy Spirit, we grieve the Holy Spirit, and eventually, if we don't recover, then we scar up our soul so that we're no longer able to tell the difference between what's right and what's wrong. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, 20. Read it for yourself about how Paul warns you not to live like the Gentiles live in the vanity of their thinking and they have their hearts hardened. It means they don't feel wrong. They don't feel conviction. And it is possible for that to happen to a Christian if, if he fails spiritually. And failing spiritually means he doesn't advance. He doesn't grow. He doesn't get with it. You know, the biggest problem is if he gets in some church that's entertainment-based and they constantly seek to stimulate his emotion and they don't teach him anything. And then when a crisis hits, he doesn't have the information, the biblical inventory of ideas to handle the crisis. And so he's going to call someone and ask them what they think he should do. And then that's where the problem comes in. That is not being spiritually self-sustaining. And uh, comes a time. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you must stand on your own two feet. You must glorify God and be autonomous and not have to run around asking everyone else what you should do. 
When you fail, rebound. Problem-solving device number one. When you fail, confess your sin to God. And don't look back at it. Don't go sit in the corner and say, if I was a Christian, I wouldn't have done that. See, that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. Satan loves it when you get that self-pity, give-up-itis attitude. If you ever were in sports, you might have, maybe like me, you played football, you might have gotten knocked down. You might have got your brain's bell rang up there. But you got up, and you got back to the huddle, and you did it right the next time. Christians get their bell rang all the time. And a lot of them give up. A lot of them go sulking at home and whining about, if I was a Christian, I wouldn't have done that. You can fail. And if you get frustrated over your failure, it simply means that you don't have a relaxed mental attitude. We're going to talk about that in one of our shows coming up here real soon. But you can take yourself way too serious. Let me get this straight so you understand this. God was in business before you got here. And God will be in business long after you're gone. So the whole thing doesn't depend on you. God has a plan for you. He has a personal sense of destiny for you. He has a program he wants you to learn and use in your life. But if you decide to trot off down the my way highway and develop these acquired flaws then the plan of God will just simply pass you by. That's right. And you'll show up in heaven. You'll have eternal life. But you will never, ever hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, it's pitiful. But some people don't care. They're so consumed with chasing the details of life. They're so consumed with their social status or their financial status or their political status, but they cannot focus on their spiritual life because of this distraction. And this is something Satan's really good at, distracting you. And eventually, you will come to the point of not having answers, and, and then you'll get frustrated because you failed. You failed to grow. You failed to acquire the mind of Christ. You failed to replicate his lifestyle. And you bought into the devil's lie that people or circumstances can make you happy. I mean, they advertise it every night on TV. Buy a new home, take a trip, get a new car. This will all make you happy. Well, it may. Temporal happiness is wonderful, but it doesn't last. It's not the kind of happiness that endures. And so you can get frustrated. And from that frustration can come depression. And from depression comes suicide. Depression is identified with guilt and shame. And this little article that I wrote you, read you at the beginning of the show shows a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and a young girl who did not know how to handle her failures. A young girl who loved her mother very much, but she took her own life. She asked God to forgive her, and in her mind, she thought he would not. Well, if, if she had accepted Christ as her Savior, she's in heaven today. I mean, a lot of people talk about God, 
That doesn't mean they've accepted Christ as their Savior. I, I don't know. That's between her and God. I pray she's in heaven. I really pray. And I can tell you this, that little baby in her, that baby went straight to be with the Lord instantly. And he's in heaven face to face with the Lord to this day. So what do we have? We have people committing suicide because they're guilt-ridden. Guilt always leads to several things. It leads to, first of all, repression. We can't live with it, so we repress it. We bury what we did or we bury what, what we got involved in in our subconscious, but it comes out later. See, that's the problem. People go to the psychologist or the psychiatrist and they say, what's wrong with me? Why do I keep doing these things? And he says, well, pay me $250 an hour, lay on the couch, and we'll figure it out. Oh, I got it. When you were 12 years old, you swallowed a popsicle stick, and now you're depressed. Well, you understand what I'm saying. I'm making light of the issue, but it's real. And when you put things into your subconscious, you're doing it because that's the way you defense against anxiety in your life. That's how you handle it. You don't have the biblical problem-solving devices, so you bury. You bury the bad stuff in your psalm conscience, and you deny that it ever happened. And then you'll, a few years later, say, why do I keep doing these things? It's because of what you buried away a long time ago. If we fail to apply what we know due to some denial or self-punishment, we're going to wind up miserable people. Depression and denial are two things that go along with guilt. Denial means that you fail to perceive what is reality. And it's sort of a defense mechanism for your guilt. And then the projection comes with it where you want to blame other people. And then manipulation where you'll try to manipulate others to see it your way. So the defense mechanism that's associated with guilt can be repression, denial, projection, manipulation. And James 1.8 says this. It's very interesting. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. A daisukos, double-minded daisukos in the Greek New Testament. This means that you cannot, you can't be syncretistic. You can't live A and B at the same time. It's either AA or BB, but it's not A and B. See what I'm saying? And this is where believers mess up because we don't learn the protocol plan of God. You don't learn rebound and how to handle your sin, your failures, your frustrations, and guilt itself becomes a sin because you fail to forget those things that are behind you. Philippians 3 says, forgetting those things that are behind me, I reach forward to those things which are ahead. Listen, you're going to sin. You're going to fail. Don't make it any worse. Name the sin to God. Get up, dust yourself off, and keep moving ahead. Take in the word of God. Keep growing. If you get knocked down again, get up again. Don't lay in the floor and wallow in guilt and in self-pity.
because that is failing to use the problem-solving devices that you should have on the flight line of your soul. If you don't handle it, then that guilt is going to lead to emotional instability in your life, and you're going to be an emotional wreck. And so you can wind up doing some crazy things. And I want you to know, if you live by guilt, you're going to lose your perceptive ability of reality. And I want you to know this, that if you live by the spiritual life, the life that we talk about on this show, the Christian life, then you can overcome past feelings of guilt, past feelings of abuse, past feelings of rejection. Listen to this statement very carefully. You are not a victim of your environment. You're a victim of your decisions. And bad decisions lead to bad loss of options. No, no options. You're going to wind up on a dead-end street. Bad decisions limit future options. And so you have to remember that. You have to overcome those feelings of guilt and abuse and rejection by the spiritual life. I don't care what you went through as a child. I know it was horrible. You think I don't have my own demons that I lived with as a child? Growing up in a federal housing project with no father? I mean, it's none of your business. And What I went through and what you went through is none of my business. But we both have God's problem-solving devices. We don't look back. We live our life in the light of eternity. We don't lose our perception of reality by looking back at the past. The true situation for the believer who is positive to the Word of God, who wants to grow in grace, who wants to replicate the lifestyle of Jesus Christ, is what Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty seven and 28. Happiness belongs to those people who hear my Father's Word and who keep it. But go to the other end of the spectrum, people that don't adhere to the Word of God, Christians, in Revelation 3.17, Jesus said, You think you're rich, but you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wretched. You're under stress. Your old sin nature controls you. You're miserable. You have no capacity for happiness. You have no sense of appreciation. You're poor, which means you have no values related to your spiritual life. And you're blind, which means you're not able to perceive Reality related to your spiritual life, and you're naked, which means you have no problem-solving devices in your soul, no defense against stress when it hits. Now, it's your life. You can live it however you want to live it. I mean, that's up to you. But I hope you will use your volition to say, I'm tired of being pushed around by the world. I want to learn God's plan. I want to live in God's plan. I want to have the joy and the peace and the happiness that it speaks about. And I want to replicate the lifestyle of Christ as a believer in Jesus Christ. That's what I want to do. That's you. Hallelujah. Thank goodness. You're the person I'm looking for. Hope you're listening. Hope you're paying attention. Until next week, this is Rick Hughes saying thank you for being with me on the flight line. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. 
If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.